Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. The show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where, or how you were listening to this, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 10, London Bridge. This episode is about the London Bridge in London. Strange as it may seem, I do have to be specific, because the current London Bridge is not the one that stood there during the 19th century. That London Bridge was bought by a developer, taken apart, moved to an artificial lake in Arizona, and then reassembled. Seriously, some stories are just too weird to not be true. The Arizona London Bridge is also said to be haunted and therefore will be the subject of a future episode. But today, in this episode, I will be talking about the London Bridge that is in London and not the London Bridge that is in Arizona. Okay? Okay. Oh, and uh, one other thing. Many folks confuse London Bridge with Tower Bridge, even though it is easy to tell the difference. The bridge with the tall towers that you probably think of when someone mentions London is actually Tower Bridge. It was built in the 19th century. London Bridge is a much less striking bridge that looks more or less like any other bridge you would find anywhere else in the world. That said, there have been multiple bridges called London Bridge at or adjacent to the site of the current London Bridge, and they've all looked rather different, so keep that in mind as we go forward. Also, In case you ever needed an extra reason to visit the website for this show, I have included some photos in the entry for this episode of some of the various different London bridges. So check it out. All right, now on with the creepiness. London Bridge crosses the River Thames to the east of the Tower of London. A bridge has been in roughly this spot since about 46 AD, when the Romans built a wooden bridge near this location. That bridge was destroyed, more on that later, and another was built. The second bridge eventually collapsed, requiring another wooden bridge to be built, which also eventually collapsed, which required another bridge to be built, and so on and so forth. The song, London Bridge is Falling Down, is more historically accurate than you might think. Finally, they gave up on wood, and a stone bridge was constructed during the medieval period. In addition to allowing transport across the river, this medieval bridge also held houses, shops, and a church dedicated to St. Thomas Becket on its span. These features were eventually removed, and it was restored to being just a bridge by the late 18th century. That bridge was replaced in the 1830s, and this new bridge served until a combination of age, increased traffic, and increased vehicle weight required another replacement. The 19th century bridge was the one that was eventually sent to Arizona when it was replaced in the 1970s with the bridge that stands at this location today. During the medieval period, and up through the Renaissance, the heads of those convicted of treason were placed on spikes on the gates of the bridge. These gates are missing from the modern bridge. This includes numerous famous individuals, 
such as Sir Thomas More and William Wallace, as well as lesser-known offenders. Given the medieval standards of jurisprudence, it's open to debate just how many of the executed were truly guilty of the crimes of which they were accused, and with these gruesome displays, it is unsurprising that ghost stories have been attached to this location. It has been said that the sounds of screams and crying come from the vicinity of the bridge. Often people attribute these noises to the people who'd been executed and had their heads placed on display. Some tellings cite the source of the screams as being not from the heads, but rather from the executions carried out on the bridge itself. However, there is another explanation that I've come across which is horrifying in its own way, but also ties into a bit of English history. This second theory attributes the screams and crying to the spirits of a group of Jewish refugees. In 1290, King Edward I of England issued the Edict of Expulsion, the result of centuries of mounting political and religious pressure and anti-Jewish bias. With this edict, Jews were required to leave England. This, sadly, was not an isolated sort of edict. Similar events occurred throughout Europe during the medieval and Renaissance periods, whether in the form of formal decrees pushing the Jewish population out of a country, or violent pogroms that terrorized them. Now, I found two different versions of what's said to have happened next. In one, a ship containing Jews expelled from England sank in the Thames, allegedly near the location of London Bridge, drowning those aboard. In another, a ship's captain is said to have offered passage to Jewish refugees, but forced them off his ship during low tide, and they drowned as the tide rose. Rather than being the cries of those who were executed for crimes, this story holds that the cries are a reminder of those who are exiled and then killed simply for being part of an unpopular minority. I've been unable to determine whether either version of this story actually occurred, or whether a third story that may have morphed into these two stories occurred. But regardless of whether people were drowned in the Thames as a result of the Edict of Expulsion, both versions of the story seem to encapsulate the Edict itself, people being forced out of their homes into a hostile world without regards to their safety. Some versions of this story claim that the location where the refugees drowned has since become a hazardous part of the river, with unpredictable flows and rough waters, as if churned by either angry spirits or the energy of the hatred that led to the deaths of innocent refugees. A few portions of the medieval bridge still stand. One is a portion of wall on the south side of the Thames. It's not much to look at, but there is a story that people sometimes see a Roman soldier standing near it. Why a Roman soldier would be near the remains of a wall that came a thousand years after he had died is open to question, and people sometimes report seeing shadowy figures out of the corner of their eyes. Naturally, many of the photographs taken at the bridge have the ever-present orbs and streaks of light, said by many enthusiasts to be spirit energy, and said by professional photographers to be the result of light reflecting off small objects like dust and insects. Likewise, apparitions of people from many periods of time are said to be seen crossing the bridge or walking near the bridge. Underneath the bridge's south footings are a series of tunnels, long disused. These tunnels were bought in recent years to build a facility called the London Bridge Experience, which is described by the Londonist as part museum, part CGI scarefest. The LBE will take visitors on a historic tour of the 2,000-year-old crossing and down into previously disused catacombs beneath the bridge. Although in the years since the Londonist reviewed it, it looks as if the company running the experience has leaned hard into the CGI scarefest part of that description. While working on the facility, workers uncovered a pit filled with human skeletons. 
it didn't take archaeologists long to work out that the pit was a plague pit, which is pretty much what it sounds like, a pit where plague victims' bodies were tossed for mass burial. It may be worth noting that some of the skeletons had holes in their skulls, possibly indicating an end from violence rather than disease, though that isn't too surprising, as they would probably throw anyone into the open grave once they had it open, whether they died of plague or not. To a population experiencing mass deaths of a sort that the modern world doesn't typically see, another body on the pile likely didn't seem as callous as it might to us today. And, I have to admit, there's a part of me that wonders if some of the burials following evidence of violent death may not have been ways of disposing of evidence of a crime, but I know very little about how the plague pits were administered, so it's probably best to pay me no mind on that point. After the plague pit was found, workers reported that strange things began to occur. Light bulbs would explode without any identifiable cause. Tools began to vanish, and workers reported a general sense of being watched, as well as the sounds of footsteps when nobody was present to produce the sound. After the initial discovery, even more skeletons were found, and workers reported that not only did the initial manifestations increase in frequency, but new manifestations of a haunting also appeared. They began seeing strange, human-like figures out of the corner of their eyes, and shadowy figures were seen in the tunnels. Commentary One of the side effects of collecting ghost folklore as long as I have is that I got to see that starting in the 90s, much of it moved online. Now, that's all fine and good, but it has created a problem in that many of the sources that I use vanish over time. I mentioned this regarding the Wolf House in episode 3 of this podcast. I'd figured that a place as storied and documented as London Bridge would be free of this problem, but I have discovered it is not. When I wrote the script for this episode, I went looking through the sources that I had listed on the blog where I used to keep these stories and found that many of the links were broken. Those that were not, as well as some additional sources I have found, are listed in the references and notes page for this episode. One source for information was a walking tour my wife and I took while in London, and the website for that tour is among the pages that no longer work. Oh, and in looking for sources on a few of these stories, I found web pages dedicated to ghost stories in Arizona. So, once again, there are a few things discussed in this episode for which my own writing is the only remaining source online, which is a bit frustrating for someone like myself who likes to document everything. That out of the way, there are a lot of really fascinating things about the ghost story surrounding this landmark. Let's start with the basic history. As already discussed, the first London Bridge was constructed by the Romans in the 1st century AD. It was a pontoon bridge, that is, a bridge built upon floating objects that held it above water, and it was soon replaced by a piled bridge, a bridge that has shafts, or piles, embedded into the riverbed that hold the bridge up. This bridge was destroyed by Queen Boudicca in 60 AD. After Boudicca was defeated, another bridge was built by the Romans. When the Romans left, the bridge fell into disrepair and eventually collapsed, or possibly was pulled down, the history is a little unclear. Another bridge was built at some point after that, but before the late 10th century, when a Saxon king named Æthelred made use of a bridge at this location. Epic poems of the time indicate that this bridge was destroyed and possibly rebuilt in 1014, though whether this is true or poetic license is not known. 
Recorded history does tell us, though, that a Saxon bridge was at this location in 1016. Then, after the Normans had conquered England, they either built another bridge at this location or made use of the existing one until it was destroyed in 1091 by, of all things, a tornado. Welcome to London, Oklahoma. The bridge was rebuilt again, and this time destroyed by fire in 1136. Really, you'd think that people would catch on that maybe the river gods didn't want a bridge at this spot. No wonder the damn thing ended up haunted. In the late 12th century, it was proposed that the wooden bridge, which had been only partially rebuilt after the fire, could be replaced by a stone structure. This was likely a move to support the pilgrimage to Canterbury, where the shrine to St. Thomas Becket was, which used this bridge to cross the river, as well as a desire to have a more stable bridge and monument of sorts. In the center of the new masonry bridge, a cathedral to St. Thomas Becket was constructed, providing a stopping point and place to collect revenue in the form of tithes and offerings from the Canterbury pilgrims. This bridge also had drawbridges and gates that allowed for better defense on both sides of the river from invading armies, as well as to protect facilities on the bridge. In 1209, King John allowed houses and shops to be built on the bridge as a way of raising revenue. However, this also resulted in many obstructions and distractions on the bridge, which slowed traffic and led many people to rely on ferries and water taxis rather than using it. And residents of my state think that Caltrans is guilty of bad planning. Although the bridge itself was built of stone, the houses and shops were made of wood. The result was that the bridge was prone to fires, and several thousand lives were lost between the 12th and 18th centuries. In the mid-18th century, an act of parliament allowed the removal of all houses and shops, as well as other modifications to the bridge, all of which was carried out by 1762. However, the bridge was far too narrow for the growing city, was an obstruction to river traffic, and was falling apart. Not surprising for a 600-year-old structure. In 1799, a competition for designs for a new bridge was held. The engineer John Rennie won, and his five-arched stone bridge was adopted as the new design. The new bridge was built near the old bridge, which continued in use until it was demolished in 1831, and the new bridge, which would eventually become known as the Old Bridge, was widened in the early 20th century, and this widening placed too much weight on its foundations, which began to sink lower into the river bottom. The bridge was then placed on the market and bought by an American real estate developer, Robert McCulloch, who moved it to Lake Havasu, Arizona, as a centerpiece for real estate development. I'm not sure which is stranger, the London tornado or the fact that London Bridge ended up in Arizona. The current London Bridge was completed in 1972 and has served as one of the busiest bridges in London. It has also had its share of misfortune, such as a collision by the warship HMS Jupiter in 1984, but continues to serve nonetheless. It has distinctive red lights, which were placed on many bridges within London as part of a 2004 Remembrance Day celebration event. Afterwards, the lights came down everywhere else, but were left on London Bridge alone. As to the ghost stories, let's start with the screams and cries reported near the bridge. There are many events that occurred on the bridge to which the screams and cries can be attributed. Numerous attacks, fires, executed traitors, and so on. Most of the time, it is the executions or the display of heads to which the sounds are attributed. That's certainly a good creepy story, but it's also a fairly standard spooky tale. Similarly, them being attributed to the lives lost in fires makes a good deal of sense, and certainly is consistent with similar ghost stories throughout the world. 
In this case, it seems weirdly appropriate that the ghosts are replaying events that, in life, played out again and again as fires destroyed buildings, but structures were allowed to be put back up again nonetheless, only to later be destroyed by fires again. However, I think the fact that these cries are sometimes attributed to the drowning of Jewish refugees is more interesting. Although expulsions of this sort were common in medieval and renaissance periods, England was the first medieval nation to do so. Linking this to ghostly sounds of fear and misery may represent a manifestation of a national guilty conscience being expressed through folklore. In this sense, it could be an acknowledgement that England committed a great wrong in expelling Jewish subjects, and the notion that this sin is permanently etched on a prominent part of the English landscape is interesting. Alternatively, it may simply be that, due to the religious and political nature of the Jewish expulsion, it was natural that it would be tied to a prominent part of the political and civil infrastructure. Either way, the fact that many attribute the phantom sounds of agony to a sunken ship suggests a place of raw nerves in the English historical psyche. As said, other people attribute these sounds to the spirits of executed people whose heads were placed on the bridge. This is probably a culturally safer place to put the blame for the sounds, as it doesn't require the same sort of reckoning with history. We all agree that medieval jurisprudence was brutal, and we move on from there. However, when one considers both that at least some of the people convicted were likely not actually traitors or criminals at all, it was, after all, common for medieval rulers to execute rivals both real and perceived as traitors, and traitor was a catch-all term used as a justification, and that others such as Thomas More are considered heroic by modern people, this is definitely a potentially culturally fraught subject. It may not have the sting of anti-Semitism, but political oppression is not exactly seen as classy behavior by modern people. The appearance of apparitions from many periods of history on the bridge provides a classic type of ghost story. While I have little to say about this detail, I will say that I really like it. The appearance of the Roman soldier and the indistinct apparitions near the remaining medieval wall are also classic, but again, I have little to say about them other than that I really do enjoy these details. The orbs and streaks of light in photographs are another story. The origins of these types of features on photographs are really pretty well known, and they are simply artifacts of photographic equipment, and occasionally of careless camera operators. While it is common to hear paranormal enthusiasts claim that a certain type of light streak or orb cannot have been caused by anything natural, a close investigation of these claims pretty routinely proves them false and usually ill-informed rather than the product of intentional lies. Basically, if your only evidence of a haunting is a weird streak of light or an orb in a photograph, you don't actually have any evidence at all. In fact, it's worth noting that orbs have become the spirit photo du jour in large part because general public knowledge of modern technology allows people to recognize false photos for the frauds that they are, preventing more impressive spirit photos of the sort that were more common around the turn of the 20th century from being accepted. It's similar to the way in which the rather more specific and often eloquent spirit mediums of the 19th and 20th century gave way to people such as John Edward, who appear to be playing charades with the spirits given the vague and often silly things he sprouts during readings. Okay, let's get on to the catacombs beneath the southern portion of the bridge. These were apparently built for storage, but have long been unused. During the construction of the London Bridge experience, they were renovated, and it was in 2007 that the first skeletons from the plague pit were found. Although most of us think of the plague as meaning bubonic plague, there were many periods of deadly communicable disease sweeping through Europe, all of which were referred to generically as plague. This particular plague pit appears to date to the Black Plague of the 17th century, which was, in fact, bubonic. 
Reports of the time indicate that deaths were occurring at such a high rate that there wasn't time for proper burial or even funeral rites. Mass graves and anonymous burial were the order of the day. In my day job as an archaeologist, I find myself often having to deal with the tendency that people in the United States have to blame alleged hauntings on Indian burial grounds, or locations that are often said to have been forbidden or considered spiritually powerful by Native American groups. In actuality, these locations often have little significance to the actual Native Americans of the region. I have long wondered what people in Europe blame hauntings on. In researching London's plague pits for this episode, I got my answer. These pits were found throughout London and really throughout Europe. They were often associated with haunted places, and a few allegedly haunted places appear to be blamed on plague pits even when there is no evidence that such a pit is nearby. The stories associated with the plague pit opening are fantastic. This is the sort of stuff that great ghost lore is made of. What is interesting to me, however, is that, in reading the various media accounts of the hauntings, everyone mentions the phenomenon described by the London experienced personnel, but not everybody mentioned the fact that these guys were building what is essentially a haunted house attraction. And these sorts of stories are good for business. Again, see episode 3 about the Wolf House. Whether or not construction personnel experienced anything, I'm sure that the management was more than happy to find real burials during construction. It's not only free advertising, it's absolutely the best sort of advertising for this sort of attraction. Regardless, it's also a good story, and a great entry into the already busy ghost story lore of London. The London Bridge experience has become known as one of the top fright attractions in the UK, with its CGI baddies and animatronic beasts that entertain and shock visitors. It appears to be something of a year-round haunted house attraction, and likely will make enthusiasts for that type of entertainment happy. Though, I must admit that it makes this archaeologist feel a little bit frustrated, as the real history and the physical remains that embody it are rather astounding in of themselves, and tell a much deeper tale of the history of London than any amusement park ever could. Thank you for joining me. If you have heard a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail.com. Also, please visit the Ghostthropology blog for transcripts, show notes, and more information at kmmamedia.com. That's kmmamedia.com. Until next time, have a wonderfully spooky night. Spooky!